Welcome to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissaf and this is RFI Group's podcast focused on key trends, market insights, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. Today, Sarah Holland's head, head of content at RFI Group, is joined by Charles Green, CEO at RFI Group, who will be discussing the current state of digital banking globally and sharing his insights and market trends from the latest global digital banking study. Hi Charles, thanks for joining us on the episode today. Can you start by telling me a bit about the reports? Certainly. So the Global Digital Banking Study is a report that we've been doing since the end of 2015 every six months. Uh, we talk to 11,000 consumers uh, across 10 markets and it's a really interesting blend of markets. So you know, you've know, you got the big developed Western economies, uh, the US, Canada, UK, France, uh, Australia. Uh, you've got some of the more developed economies in Asia, Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, and then you've got three fast emerging markets with Mexico, China and India. And obviously China and India are in there because you can't talk about digital banking without, without including those and seeing what technologies are coming down the line. So a really interesting blend of markets at different stages of development and with different legacy issues or, or lack of legacy issues um, confronting them. So have we seen big changes in consumer behaviour towards digital usage? What we're seeing globally is a, is a general consistent trend of increased digital usage. So in every single market, uh, over the last six months from the start of 2017 to the second half of 2017, we saw increased uh, weekly usage uh, of digital banking. Um, overall, it jumped from about 58% to about 68%. Uh, but most importantly, we're starting to see a significant increase in daily uh, digital banking. So that's gone from about 23% to about 34% globally. But again, in every single market, daily usage of digital banking um, has increased and obviously that has a, a significant impact uh, on what banks need to think about and when they're thinking about their value proposition and how to engage consumers on a daily basis. So we read a lot about impacts on the branch of digital uses increasing around the globe. So what's your opinion on this and what do you see as the future for the branch? Yes, absolutely. You, you can start a lot of conversations with the branches dead long live the branch. Um, when you actually break down banking into a, into a number of discrete tasks, what you start to see then is some of the significant differences between the new channel, digital channel, and the traditional branch channel. So in almost every single market and every segment, uh, the digital channel is uh, preferred uh, to the phone and to the branch. It's mm. only when you get into the only over 65 segment that there's a preference for the branch. Mm. But when you break that down into discrete tasks, you can see that most of the digital uh, banking that is done is transactional banking. So it's checking account balances, checking recent transactions, moving money to family, to friends, paying bill, updating personal details. That's what people want to do digitally. But when you look at you know, resolving problems or complaints, or even more importantly, seeking investment advice, it doesn't matter what age cohort you're looking at. People want to go to the branch in order to get investment advice. So the branch uh, is being used less, but it's also being used in a different way. And it's still an important part of the sort of omni-channel mix that needs to be in any bank's value proposition. Mm. And across those different areas, fintech, uh, propositions obviously coming into place, trying to steal some market share. Um, so I'm sure you've got some great insights on awareness of fintech and, and is that actually translating into usage? So awareness of fintech, you know, we all work in the industry, so we're very, very aware of fintech because fintech is a, you know, a significant player, it's an opportunity, it's a threat depending where you sit. But actually when you go out to the general market, unprompted um, awareness of fintech is, is sort of quite low. 
uh, and even prompted awareness of fintech where you're listening uh, uh, listing the names of the different fintechs increases globally only to about um, 50% from about 20% uh, which is unprompted and then when you look at usage we did see a significant uptake uh, admittedly off a low base from the end of 2016 um, to the uh, the start of 2017 but then Really, if you take China and India um, out of the mix, um, it's plateaued quite a bit. Uh, with China and India in the mix, you know, it's still growing strong from sort of 16% to 30% globally. But both China and India have jumped from sort of 20 or 25% up into the, the mid to high 80s. If you take them out of the mix, then globally, we're looking at a, a move from about sort of 13% to about 17%. So it's definitely slowing down. It's mm. still happening, though, and fintechs are still... Uh, acquiring customers, but not at the same rapid rate they were at the end of 2016. Mm, and this seems to go against what a lot of the media and the industry is saying when it comes to fintech. So do you have some insights into some of the reasoning behind this slowdown? I think what we're starting to see is, as with any new technology, whether you know, if you go right back to when ATMs first came out, they were going mm. to destroy the branch and then the internet came out and that was going to get rid of the branch. And you, know, you get a huge amount of hype when, a, when a new, new technologies and new channels appear. Um, and I think what we saw was a, an increased appetite for digital only throughout 2015, 2016, and into 2000, early 2017. And then since the start of 2017, uh, in the second half of the year, we've seen that appetite start to diminish. So mm. it's gone from about, about 65% down to about uh, just below 50%. Wow. It's gone from 74% to just a, uh, to about 55% globally. Mm. Um, and I think there are two reasons for that. Firstly, um, you're starting to see rationale kick in and, and, and reality kick in as you do with any uh, hyped new technology. Um, so you could say it's a, it's a, a more true representation uh, that we now have. Uh, but also you've got the issue of trust, which is uh, critically important with banking. You don't need, no one needs to love their bank, but they do need to trust their bank. Mm. And that's very, very important and something um, that's starting to increase importance uh, in importance globally. Uh, so with trust becoming more important, who can really leverage off that then globally? Well, trust is definitely becoming more important. I mean, and trust is a sort of a bit of a motherhood statement. Mm. Do you trust your bank? So what we did in 2015 was we broke that down into, do you trust this type of organization to hold your personal information um, securely and privately? Um, and we've seen over the last two years that when you break trust down like that, firstly, banks are the number one organization for that kind of trust. And secondly, trust in banks uh, to, to maintain privacy and security uh, of personal information has been steadily increasing in every single market, mm. uh, whereas trust in technology companies or in new technology companies uh, has either flattened out or is starting to diminish. And then when you go further and you ask consumers, do you trust this organization to keep your money safe? Again, banks are the number one organization for that. And that trust has again been increasing over the last two years in every single market. So trust is a, is a hugely valuable commodity uh, for banks, and it's one that's increasing in value for them. Mm, and that's really interesting when you consider open banking and the sort of intended purposes of that being around leveling the playing field. So how are you seeing that change in trust shifting towards the banks impacting open banking plans? I think open banking is, was potentially regarded as leveling the playing field, and it will give consumers more choice. But it was potentially also seen as a, as a threat to the banks, whereas actually open banking is a, is a boon to the banks. It's a huge opportunity um, for them to own the ecosystem, so to speak. Mm. Um, and there are there's some significant global differences uh, when it comes to trust and when it comes uh, particularly to privacy and sharing personal information. 
But overall, consumers uh, are not convinced uh, that they could be incentivized to share data. And most importantly, um, if there's a problem, they trust the banks to hold that data. Mm. Uh, and if there's a problem with uh, that data or with their money, they're not going to go to the API or to the third party supplier. Uh, their number one point of call uh, is going to be the bank. So the banks still represent security and trust for the consumer, even within the realm of open banking. So. Uh, there might be some slightly different outcomes to originally what was what was planned with that by the regulators. Mm, it'll be an interesting one to watch for sure. Absolutely. Um, and so you spoke about the daily usage being more important than the weekly usage uh, when it comes to digital. So I just wanted to ask you to elaborate a bit on that. Yes, as I said at the start, we've seen increased weekly usage by about 10%, from 58% to 68%, and we've been seeing increased daily usage uh, in every single market. What we've started to, to see, which is really interesting, is uh, we've known for the last 18 to 24 months that if you can engage consumers on a weekly basis, then those consumers will be more profitable for a bank. Mm. Uh, they will hold more products already, typically 3.7 on a weekly basis uh, versus 3.4 on a monthly basis or 2.9 uh, unique products uh, on a less than monthly basis. Um, but most importantly, um, not only will they hold more products, but they'll be looking to take out more products. So on a weekly basis, about 1.2 new products over the next six months as compared to uh, one or less than one on a fortnightly or monthly basis. What we're starting to see, and it's very, very marginal, so it's going to be really interesting to see if this trend continues, mm. is that daily users are slightly more profitable already and are starting to become more profitable uh, than weekly users. So they go from... 3.7 unique products to 3.9 unique products. They go from 1.2 new products to 1.5 new products over the over the next six to 12 months that they're looking to take out. So it's a small gap that we're starting to see emerge. It's not clear yet if it's a definite trend, but it looks to be leading in that way. And that means that the, the onus is on the banks to engage with consumers digitally on a daily basis if they, if they really want the most profitable consumers. So let's talk more about that. How can banks be looking to engage that daily digital customer? Well, again, it comes down to breaking down the banking tasks, as I said at the start. So mm. if you break down the discrete banking tasks, we know that it's the transactional tasks that consumers like to do across markets and across age cohorts uh, on a daily basis. So checking account balances, paying bills, transferring money, updating personal details. So there are a number of digital propositions that we've tested. And what's really interesting um, is to see that the two most popular uh, things uh, from a digital perspective are mm. the ability uh, to either use finger fingerprint login, um, so a biometric uh, login, uh, or the ability to check an account balance uh, using preordained um, four-digit code. Uh, but what's interesting about both the biometric login and the four-digit code is they are already hygiene factors, by which I mean that consumers expect their banks to be providing that. That's not going to drive mm. any more, any different behavior other than the fact that it's going to make consumers engage on a daily basis, which is important. So you've mentioned biometrics and there's lots of other new technologies out there around chatbots, PFM tools really sort of coming to the center of the press attention. But what ones, you know, which digital propositions do you predict to be the real standout offerings? Well, I think both um, making payments within a messaging app mm. uh, is, a, is a huge, huge potential. Uh, we've already seen that happening a lot in Asia, obviously in China, uh, in Hong Kong, in Singapore to a degree, uh, in Australia. Um, you get different uh, geographic appetites uh, for that. Uh, there's a much higher appetite and a much higher usage of messaging apps across 
uh, age cohorts in Asia than in the Western markets. Um, but you do see increased profitability uh, amongst consumers who want to make payments in messaging apps, both from a, a cross-sell perspective, they're more satisfied, they're more likely to recommend, they're stickier, they're likely to, to hold more uh, products in the future. Um, but I think what's really interesting and where there's a really significant opportunity is if you look at um, personal financial management. Mm. Uh, at the moment, personal financial management, say it's slightly lagging the rest of uh, the digital uh, world uh, would be an understatement. So <laughs> the number one uh, method of managing personal finances globally, and it's across every market, is pen and paper. <laughs> so you know, pen and papers are leading, uh, followed by a spreadsheet. Um, so a significant opportunity uh, for the banks there, apart from China, where an app provided by my bank is just over 50%, uh, and India, where it's just over 30%, and every other market is less than 20 or 10%. Um, you know, pen and paper and spreadsheets uh, still significantly uh, dominate. When you ask them, uh, how would you like to manage uh, your finances? It's, a, it's an absolutely clear um, opportunity for the banks. Across every market globally, it's over 80%. So over 80% of consumers would like an app provided by their bank, not provided by a third party, not provided by another financial institution, mm. not provided by another uh, institution they hold products with. Over 80% in every market globally want an app for PFM that helps them manage their savings provided by their main bank. And we know from looking at profitability that the most profitable customers for a bank are those who are looking for a PFM tool provided by their bank. So their net promoter score is highest, their satisfaction is highest, they are the stickiest, they hold mm. the most unique products, they are looking to take out the most products uh, in the next six months. Um, so those are really uh, the, the most profitable customers for a bank to target. It's crazy to think in, in such a digital world that people are using pen and paper to yeah, manage absolutely. their finances. Um, but you mentioned some examples of Asia sort of leading the path, uh, particularly when it comes to payments. So are there any other key global differences that you're finding in the study? I think what's really interesting if you compare Asia to some of the, sort of the more traditional Western economies is we track all their, their daily digital usage, not just for banking. What you can see in Asia is uh, firstly the, the use of messaging uh, is consistent across all different age cohorts, whether you cut it by standard demographics, whether you cut it by technology enablement. And, and you see you don't see that in Western markets. In Western markets, you see you know, the more early adopters, the millennials are much more likely to be using messaging. And also you have very different concepts of privacy and security uh, in, in Asian markets than you perhaps do in Western markets. There's a much greater appetite for open banking type regulation uh, in those markets. And also in, it, in those markets, there's a significant amount of trust um, in both the banks and in the government, which you don't get uh, to the same degree uh, in Western markets. And mm. In fact, in the only market globally uh, where uh, trust in banks is actually diminishing uh, is in Australia, where obviously you have the Royal Commission at the moment and you can't open the, a paper any day of the week and not see something about banking. So some key differences uh, globally, uh, Canada's had a lot of scandals around hacking of, of personal information. So mm. Canada's the, one of the few markets where we've seen uh, it's, it was the lowest a year ago uh, in number of consumers who've been willing to share personal information. I think it was about one in five. That's actually now reduced in the last six months to one in six. So that's actually going backwards. So there are, there are geographical and, and regional variations. Well, there's a lot of really rich insights there. And I guess I just want to sort of bring it together uh, in, a, in a question of who is going to win when it comes to digital banking? I, I think this is a question that's going around a lot at the moment. And I think um, there's obviously two, two camps. There's the traditional banks 
uh, and there's uh, the fintechs, and you can argue there's the third sort of um, sort of challenger bank uh, camp as well. I think partnership is going to be the way forward. And you know, back in 2014-15, there were a lot of fintechs out there. They were going to you know eat the bank's lunch. You know, banking was over. They have absolutely, without a shadow of doubt, they have got banks to focus on the customer experience. They have kickstarted and put the banks under a huge amount of pressure to up their game to provide a genuinely great customer experience across channels and really think about the customer and put the customer front and center uh, in the value proposition. Um, I think at the same time, fintechs have come to realize that if they really want to be successful, they absolutely need the scale the banks have and they also need uh, the compliance and the security and the trust that the banks have spent um, years building. So fintechs need the banks for their security, for their trust, for their scalability. Uh, banks can cherry pick fintechs that are able to provide a really great customer experience throughout different parts of, of the value proposition and the fintechs and the banks that can work together well will, will be the ones that, that succeed in the future. Mm. And to close off, I mean, I'm sure you'll agree, it's such an exciting time to be in financial services, so much change going on, but which area of banking do you think is likely to be next for the digital transformation? I think millennials have had a lot of press um, yes. for the last couple of years. It's all been about the millennials creating a digital value proposition for millennials, and, and that that is important. Uh, I think what we tend to forget is that um, that everybody is a consumer. Mm. Um, so whether it's uh, an SME owner, whether it's the CFO of a mid-market corporate, by day they, they do their job, by, by night they are a consumer and have been exposed to what you can get from a consumer digital banking proposition. Um, when we look at this globally, we see and we, we look at you know, appetite for digital, um, digital usage and appetite for complex, for the ability to perform complex banking tasks digitally. What you can see is, um, yes, millennials have a significant appetite and they want to be able to perform tasks, but actually a greater appetite and with more complexity is Generation X. And when you break that down further, it's the affluent segment within Generation X. And when you break that down further, it's the affluent segment who are also SME owners who have a huge digital appetite and want to be able to do complex banking tasks digitally. When you look at the size of the SME, it's not the smaller SMEs of the 1 million, the 2 million, the 3 million turnover. It's the larger SMEs who are turning over 5 to 10 million. Mm. And then when you get to sort of, uh, you know, the top of, of your sweet spot, consumers that want to do, that have the, huge, the largest appetite uh, for digital banking and want to do the most complex digital banking tasks and are happy to pay to be able to do those tasks are the CFOs of the mid-market corporates, the 50 to 100 million corporates, the CFOs and CEOs of those businesses have up until now, I think, been not ignored, uh, but perhaps not had the spotlight on them. Mm. And that represents a huge opportunity for banks that are able to create a value proposition that targets them. So SMEs, next one to watch out. SMEs and mid-market corporates, I think, where it's going to be. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Charles. Thanks for joining us on the episode. Thanks very much for your time. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com. 